going, and we were we were unpacking like crazy. My uh, my par- my parents or Rachel's parents had the kids for like two days, and so we had to get the entire house unpacked in two days because you can't get anything done with kids around because uh, they're so wonderful and fun. Um, and so we were we were working just working hard, just all I mean going going going, never sitting down. And so that night. We, we stopped, it was like 8.30, and we look at each other, and we're like, well, there's not a scrap of food in the house, and we, we haven't eaten since a long time. we got to eat something tonight. And then we realize, oh, we're on a mountain. There is no food up here. And so we have to go down. But it wasn't just like a typical drive down the mountain. This was one of those amazingly thick fog days. Like I had never experienced in my life. This was, that was my first experience uh, with fog like this. And I was... Truly, and I'm not exaggerating, driving from reflector to reflector down that mountain, which was stupid. Probably should have just called somebody and see if we could eat their food because that was really dangerous. Because if you're going, I mean, what is that, like 20 yards or something? And, and yeah, I don't know where I am on, on the road. I mean, the road could curve sharply right after that, but I'm hiding right at, you know, I could swerve and hit somebody. I couldn't see anything. I almost got lost coming on the way back i mean i, I didn't I, I would have gotten lost rachel knew where we were that was helpful but that's what it's like when we try to live day to day when we try to live like this is the story that matters right here in front of me and my immediate provision and comfort and care is is what matters then we're swerving all over the place we're, in, we're a danger to ourselves and others it was dangerous. But on a clear day, and you drive down this mountain, you drive down Ox Highway, and you have that beautiful overlook. I love that. I always wish I could stop and take a picture, but Eric told me that only tourists do that, so I can't do it. <laughs> it's gorgeous. But you see, I mean, you can see everything, not just the road, but you can see the whole valley laying out in front of you. And you can see where you might drive in a little while. And you can see, for better or worse, you see where you, where you fit. Like that's, you know, the, some people live there, others live there, I live here. You can see it all. That's belonging to a larger story. That Your life matters a whole lot more, like Rachel's China. It's, it's precious because it belongs to a story. It's integral to the, to the, to the chain of events that, will, that, that the Lord will use to continue to carry out his salvation. Just like Ruth and Naomi's seemingly insignificant little colloquial story, little commonplace story of two widows getting taken care of. But it doesn't stop there because the narrator takes us on to David. And we know we know that, that even David, even the great King David, is not the climax of the story. Even he is a pointer to the great climax of the story. And because of that, we know, because we know, we can look at Ruth on this side of things, we know that not only do we belong to a story that's so much longer and richer than our lives, and therefore it gives us, it gives us dignity and value and importance and direction. We know that, but we also know where this thing's ending. We know where it's going to go. That's what the genealogies are about at the end of this that they point us to the future. And one of of mine and Rachel's favorite shows, and when I say our favorite shows, I just mean a show that we can stand to watch together because there aren't often many of those, unfortunately. Um, But this one we really liked. 
and it was called Friday Night Lights. And we found out about it after, you know, after it was off air and everything. And maybe this is like way missing it. Maybe nobody knows anything about this. And that's cool. Um, it's still a really good show. But we binge watched that sucker on Netflix. Uh, you know, like neglected our kids and eating and, you know, typical human functions um, for, you know, t- I don't know how long it took us. It, it wasn't long. We blew through that sucker. And it was five seasons. It was a great show. One of the reasons it's so good uh, is because it looks so real. Like the interact, the interactions are also so very real. There's this the the, the main couple of the show, Coach Taylor and Tammy Taylor, um, are, uh, are this married couple, and they uh, and and you, you when you watch them interact, it just it feels it feels natural. It feels like oh, well, it's just like the way I interact with my wife, both in joy and in sorrow and in conflict and. And confusion, that's amazing. It's such it'll draw. It kind of draws you in that way. And later on, I learned that that was the show was designed that way. So the director um, never gave them places to stand, um, didn't give them a whole lot of script, and they never rehearsed. So they were supposed to just go into a scene knowing where the scene began. Okay, we're picking up this scene, you know, and you're talking about your daughter and how she wants to go out Friday night. And at the end, you both. You both end up agreeing what to do, and that is you won't let her go. And so, but, but the whole scene, they didn't, they didn't script it. They didn't block it. They didn't rehearse it. They were just supposed to talk, so they end up talking over each other, and they just have to kind of figure it out as they go. They figure it out. But you know the one question that uh, Kyle Chandler is, is Coach Taylor and Connie Britton is Tammy Taylor. They ask one question of the director before this, before this show started, season one, it had five seasons. Before it started, they said, we, got, we have to know, do we make it in the end? Do we stay together? We got to know that. We have to know if this ends with us together. And it makes sense, right? Because that would affect the way that they would play every scene. Every scene would be affected by their knowledge of the ending. Every one of them, some very little, some uh, greatly. They had to know the ending. And as certain as they were able to be in all those scenes of the ending of that story, that they would, in fact, be together, you and I are that much certain, that certain, and even more so, the end of our story. This narrator points us to King David. And King David is obviously in the line of Jesus the great king of Israel, the true king of Israel, who will bring the only ending that can satisfy to this long story. Dostoevsky says this in the Brothers Karamazov, I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for, that all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, Something so precious will come to pass that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, of all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Or if you want it more simply put, Sam Gamgee says, you mean all bad things are going to come untrue? And then he burst into tears. Yes, all bad things are going to come untrue. Something at the, at the moment of eternal harmony, when Jesus 
brings heaven and earth to join as one, something will come to pass that will justify all that has happened. We know how this is going to end. We know how it's going to end. This would be like if, uh, if you had a favorite organization that you really just wanted to see thrive and, and grow and continue their mission, and they said, hey, look, we've got this matching grant, and it's 10,000 to one. So if you, every dollar you give us is 10,000 dollars that we'll get, and then all of a sudden you would say, man, I don't have to be rich in order to do all this good. That's what we get to live like knowing the end. You don't have to be rich or powerful or good-looking or smart. You just have to be faithful. Because if we believe this, then we know that when Jesus returns, he is going to complete and perfect everything that was started in his name. There are no lost causes. There's nothing to give up on. He's going to complete it. He's going to perfect it. The biblical word for this is hope. One of my favorite lines in the Hunger Games movies, and I haven't seen the third one, so don't say anything. But in the first one, it was not in the book, but it should have been, I think, uh, this line. President Snow, the ultimate bad guy of the big dominating government um, who is keeping under its thumb all the occupants of the nation, says to this head gamekeeper, the gamekeeper is the games master, what is he called? I can't remember. He's supposed to run this game that's entertainment, uh, a violent game of competition. And, the, and, the, and President Snow says to him, look, this is getting a little out of hand because there's this one girl, Katniss, who's the heroine of the tale, and it looks like she's, she's getting a little, you know, she's showed people that you can resist our rules. That's a problem, you see, because a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope is useful. A little bit of hope is useful, but a lot of hope is dangerous. A whole lot of hope is dangerous. You see, enough hope to survive, to think, oh, I can make it to bedtime. I can put these kids to bed and then I'll have a couple hours or... I I can make it maybe through one more day, maybe through another hour. I don't know if I can. Maybe I'll make it till tomorrow. That's all I've got in me. A little bit of hope, that's just enough to survive. But a lot of hope, a lot of hope can cause a people to lay down their lives in order to gain their freedom. That can cause them to, to, to sacrifice everything for the hope, for the sake of their posterity. You know, if you're, if you're barely making it day to day, there's probably a hope issue. It's, it, it, it has something to do with that you don't know that you belong to this long story that is continuing through you and into the future and has a definite ending in which all things will be made right and all things will be accounted for. Christian hope is not blind optimism, N.T. Wright says, but a mode of knowing that options are not shut down, that new creation can happen. So how do we become people of hope who belong to a longer story? How do we not let ourselves be, be shut in to a singular story, living from reflector to reflector, 
or day to day? Well, we've got to know this baby Obed. This baby Obed that Ruth and Boaz have. This baby is set on the lap of the least likely mother in the room. He's given to Naomi. No chance Naomi's going to ever have a baby, but this baby is handed to her. This baby is called Redeemer and Life Giver by the community. This baby who will, through his offspring, rule God's people and bring life and flourishing. And this baby's name means one who serves. One who serves. And Obed is a pointer to another baby that would, take, that would come long after this story was written. And this baby would also be put on the lap of the least likely woman in the village. In fact, she was a virgin. And this baby would be declared by the community to be the redeemer, the rescuer of God's people. And his descendants, you and me, would be called to rule the earth in his name and bring life and flourishing to everyone everywhere. This baby would become king, not by declaring himself so, but by serving and by giving his life as a ransom for many. You see, when you know that this baby Jesus was Obed for you, was your, is your redeemer, is your life giver, is the one who died so that you can live, then you, can have, then you have that certainty. That certainty that you belong to a long story that is going to continue through you and, and end somewhere in the future. But none of this could have been accomplished without death. Paul Miller says in his study on on this book, Ruth, he says that death is at the heart of love. He knows that Ruth left her people to go to a people that hated her, that that she was likely to be be jumped and beat up. She left any any kind of security that she had had opportunity to in Moab. She left her family and all the things that are familiar to cling to Naomi. She, she engages in this risky plan that could have gotten her um, thrown out of Bethlehem or, or even worse, killed. And she engages in this, you know, she, she goes into marriage with Boaz. That doesn't have any point unless she, is, unless she is living for the welfare of others. To have this baby who would carry on, who would raise up the name of the dead man. Tim Keller says, all life-changing love is sacrificial love. Paul says that connecting our lives to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection is what connects our lives into this power. And you know that passage that we read, Paul says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, and then he gives us the means of knowing that power. He says to, to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That is not a very attractive resurrection life. 
That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Become, the sharing of sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that's the form of resurrection life that, that infuses itself into this world through you and me who belong to Jesus. It's living a cross-shaped life. And we know that in our little crosses, and all the little crosses, all the ways like Ruth that we died ourselves to move towards someone else in love, they're all a form of death. It's all a cross, but there is always resurrection because we belong to a story that ends. We belong to a story that concludes even better than happily ever after. We belong to a story, and I promised Eric I wouldn't say this, but Paul Miller calls it living in the J-curve which is a cheesy thing, but it it makes sense. I mean, it'll stick with you, I hope. Starting, and and he's just describing this, uh, the pattern of our life as believers goes from life to death to life plus. Life, which is decent. Naomi's got a husband. She's got two sons. Decent life. To death, they die. She's an abandoned widow. She's got no hope. To life plus. Now she has provision and care. She's living in the land, and her husband's name won't die out. Life to death to life plus. And that's the the pattern of our life. And you know that life plus, that resurrection after the death, even if it's a little death of just getting up from watching football so you can change your baby's diaper, that's a death of love. Like, even that little death, uh, it brings about a resurrection that reverberates out from you. So our sufferings, the good news of our sufferings is not that we learn a lesson. The good news of our sufferings is that that Jesus is using the tears of his beloved children to water the new creation that is coming right now. And he brings about resurrection that spreads out from you. So as you struggle with depression, you can comfort those in the same way that you've been comforted. As you struggle with insecurity, as you see the Lord take back years that you've wasted and sin and rebellion. That's a resurrection that reverberates out. At the end of the Disney movie, Beauty and the Beast, the Beast is, uh, the Beast, you know, finally comes around and he starts to actually love Belle and not just want to use her to get his life back and Belle begins to love him. And then at the end, Gaston comes to, re- to claim Belle and take her away, but the beast won't have it. And he gets in the way of, <coughs> he throws himself in between Gaston and Belle and won't allow uh, her to be hurt. And, uh, and for that, he's killed, right? Gaston kills the beast. And she's, he's laying there and he's dying. And at, at his very last breath, or maybe just after, Belle whispers to him, but I love you, I love you. And at that moment, you see, like, uh, you know, all the moonbeams, like, shooting out of his fingers and, and everything. And the beast goes from life to death to life plus, right? And he's resurrected. And he's not a beast anymore. He's a man, supposedly handsomer, although I liked him better as a beast. And he's got new life, and he's got this new love and relationship. But it doesn't stop there. You know, that's the beautiful part. Like, you, you watch, and it just spreads, like, out from him as the epicenter, and it spreads all over his castle, and the weeds are drawn back, and the gardens flourish, and the, 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 the castle that was in disrepair becomes beautiful again, and all of his friends who had subhuman lives become, uh, become humans again. 
and can carry on with their life. You see, the resurrection doesn't stop with him, but it spreads out from there. And even so with you and me. When we engage in this cross-shaped life, resurrection is going to come, and it won't stop with you. If living in light of this story, one that, that has been carrying on for a long time and passes through you by the power of Jesus and will be whole in the very end, all things will be well. If that's something you can't grab onto and give away, then you might not have it in the first place. Receiving, receiving that this was for you is the prerequisite of giving. Receiving this is the prerequisite for giving. Know this Jesus. Know this Obed who served you, laid down his life, and so that in his resurrection you will find yours. Amen.